0: You're out there somewhere, beer baron, and I'll find you. No, you won't. Yes, I will. Well. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I'm Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGregor. Mike say hi? How's everyone doing? And as you should know by now, we are two dudes who drink and talk about movies. Now, we are in the month of December. We have survived rom-com roulette. Now... Barely. Now we're going to talk about some careers that didn't survive uh, certain movies. So we're going to be doing movies that killed careers. And we we got three people uh, starting off the month. And then we have an unkillable career at the end of the month, which uh, Mike and I are very excited to get to. <laughs> Every but, now um, and then
1: you get a career so beautiful,
0: so right. lovely,
1: that it, all it can do is stand as a picture of hope in this Dark That's right. It's,
0: and it's, just it's, can't it's be the, killed. It's the lone light in the darkness. But uh tonight though we got a we got a fairly dark darkness, but uh this time this week we're starting off with Kevin Costner. So we are starting off with 1987's Untouchables and then we're going to get into 1995s I think Waterworld which uh I'm the end for Mr. Cosner when it came to uh, blockbuster movies, so, uh, so we'll get into a while. all the, Yeah, we'll get into all that. But yeah, before he figured out that the Paramount Network would give him whatever he wanted to do for however long he wanted to do it on uh, Yellowstone. So um, before we get into all that, though, we got to talk about what we're drinking. So Mike, what do you got?
1: All right. So I'm revisiting a beer I had before uh, with New Jersey Beer Company's Sour Fish Gummy Sour. And it's supposed to be Swedish fish flavored.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, you haven't had you had that one like fairly recently, I think.
1: It was a little bit ago. And probably over it was before I went to Japan. So it was it was a couple right. months. Right. But it's pretty sour. Um I when I go into this, I kind of was hoping for a candy sour that tastes exactly like Swedish fish, but not exactly what I'm getting here.
0: I and you. it's eight
1: percent alcohol, so I am definitely just sipping this one.
0: Nice, yeah, there's always fun one there. nice and strong. But uh, all right, so I have on the other hand, I went to Bonesaw. Well, I didn't get Bonesaw. I went to a little wine and got a Bonesaw. I got there because it's winter time. It's December. It's Christmassy. Have
1: you been to their uh, their new tasting room at uh, the Deptford Mall?
0: Not the Defford Mall, no, but I, I've been to their brewery. I think within the last year, at some point,
1: they just recently opened up a tasting room at the Dufford Mall, which is nice because the actual brewery is much further than that from me.
0: Yeah, all the way down in Glassboro, down by uh, Dufferin Rowan. But um, but yeah, but this one is their Cherry Cordial Queen, which is their chocolate cherry cream ale. And it it's like this, I love that one. It's like this deep red. Uh, to it. But, like So it doesn't look like the chocolate part. And it definitely hits the chocolate definitely hits you, though.
1: So when you actually go in brewery and have it, they serve it with, like, cocoa powder on the rim.
0: That's what I thought. I thought it was either that or, like, cinnamon or something went on. Yeah, cocoa powder. Nice. That I feel like that would do it... That would take make it a little more chocolatey, because it's not quite chocolatey, but it's a little more creamy. But it's definitely not... Good. Like I don't really taste cherry here. I'm tasting chocolate and tasting cream ale, but I'm not really getting the cherry part.
1: That's one of, that might be my favorite of their uh the queen, their their uh cream ale line, the queens.
0: I think I'm a f i am ai think I'm a fan of the orange creamsicle one, whatever that one is. Queen-sicle. That one's pretty good. <laughs> Queensicle, that's what it is yeah. I a,
1: uh they also just came out with Peaches and Queen.
0: Nice. I like it. But uh, it's good. It's still good, and it's four point seven percent. So it's like I'm not going to be completely trashed after. I'm going to be pretty all right. But um, but I figured for December, I'd try to do some wintry beers. Now a lot of like the winter warmer beers are like high alcohol content because apparently you got to be drunk to get through the cold. But um, tonight I think of four point seven. The
1: Russians. <laughs> that's right. I
0: think four point seven is just in the sweet spot for the. Now, last week we were for Pretty Woman. We said I said um, uh, Richard Gere was like a pair of khakis watching white paint dry. Kevin Costner is like a pair of pleated khakis watching like off-white paint dry. (laughs) You know, the man's not completely beige, but he's not by any means like your firebrand like movie star. Like you just you don't see, you just don't see this dude doing craziness but he's always just Kevin Costner like that's pretty much what he is. Yeah. We'll get into Waterworld. Like this is the movie in 87 that since this was nominated for an Oscar and it is an Oscar winning movie because Sean Connery won best supporting actor for this. This is like a prestige movie. So everybody's like, hey, Kevin Costner is the lead of this movie. It's pretty great. It's directed by De Palma. You know, it's written by David Mamet, like that, the legendary team right there. But after this, he does No Way Out, which is kind of, if I remember correctly, it's kind of an actiony y movie. Uh, then he does Bold Arm, um, Field of Dreams, uh, and we dance with wolves, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, JFK, Bodyguard right there, uh, Wyatt Earp, Then in 95, he's got Waterworld. And then after that, it's... Well, it's downhill after that. We luckily didn't do the postman because the postman is like three hours. Again, post-apocalyptic like Waterworld, but completely like a passion project for Kevin Costner. And it's completely unwatchable. (laughs) It is unwatchable. (laughs) Why
1: does Kevin Costner have such a weird typecast that he's like... He's either in a sports movie or an action movie.
0: Right. Right. That's that's it. That's all <laughs> it is. You know, and the only time he was in anything, well, yeah, I'm like looking through his IMDb. they're like, there isn't the only thing I guess you can consider hidden figures, whatever role he was in that, he plays Al Harrison, whoever that was. <laughs> You know, but apparently that's that's neither. But then there's Molly's game right after that, which is back to sports playing. <laughs> it's like poker, isn't it? So you can consider that a sport of sorts. But then, then his old man phase is kind of like when he got into just like I'm a big Kevin Costner in various sizes of cowboy hats. <laughs> and then, you,
1: and then you gotta sprinkle in some sports with like draft day.
0: Yeah, fucking draft day, Jesus! Where he's the. GM GM of the
1: Cleveland Browns, Browns,
0: yeah. And they treat him like he's at the time like the Patriots, you know, like this is the most important team drafting of the year. And it's the fucking Browns, man. It's like before they were actually winning games. That's that's the 2014. That was
1: before the Baker Mayfield draft where they gave people a glimmer of hope.
0: Yeah, they were the defeated Browns at that point. Like they were them and the Lions. For that, the would that come wins. out
1: in 2011?
0: That was 14. That was
1: 2014. 2014. Oh, so that would have been the who would have been the quarterback? <laughs> well, let's
0: look it up. Let's look it up. Okay, so 2014 Browns. Here we go. So it looks like we have um, a team. <laughs> we have a team. Uh, okay, so here we go. Oh, they went, we, they went seven and nine roster. in
1: 2014. That,
0: this is the Brian Hoyer year. Oh, god, <laughs> or year, I should say. But they're running. Oh, is back. this the
1: year that the, Josh Gordon ended up being like the best receiver in the league before getting arrested for pot and never being allowed back?
0: No, he's not listed on the final roster, at least. So maybe he was during the middle, like the beginning of the year. This is, um. Yeah, I'm looking at the rest of the team. There's nobody else here that's worth talking about at all. Like, oh, God. Not even a little bit. I don't even yeah, really I'm looking at
1: – this is this is the Isaiah Crowell-led backfield. Oh, no. You're
0: and right. Terrence so like, West. Yeah, so just right there. It's like, who the hell are these people? But that was the move. That was the script that Kevin Costner looked at. And it was like, you know what? That's the team. That's the team. <laughs> Cleveland Browns, that's the team that we're going to make this draft day gramedy or whatever the hell this thing was. You know, like the 2014 fucking Browns. Uh, what the of-
1: 2013 was- Browns is when Josh Gordon gave the team some hope and had 1,650 yards in 14 games.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But that's not what this draft day was for, Mike. No. <laughs> that was for the next year. But, um, it, but It's anyways. kind
1: of funny that they – Uh, the running back that they draft was played by Arian Foster. And that was like, I want to say it was towards the end of Arian Foster's career.
0: I believe it was. Yeah, it's kind of like Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire, where it's like he's angling for the big contract for like the last three years of his life, basically. (laughs) And But in this, though, we're talking about The Untouchables. Now, this movie has like three iconic movie moments and one of which is of course the touchable scene where um the accountant and the the rat are killed in the elevator and touchable is written on blood on the wall on the elevator walls it's great then of course there's uh, Robert De Niro who we'll get to in a second De Niro is Al Capone yelling I want him dead I want his family dead like all that and then of course there's the greatest scene in the entire movie just so happened to be done better by the parody of it which is the train station scene and it was done better by naked gun 33 and a third yeah (laughs) but that scene alone and again we'll get to this towards the end of the movie that scene alone it's like wow de palma was on top of this like de palma knew how to just raise tension and raise stakes and all of a sudden he just Bursts out with the gunfire and the blood. You're like, oh, this is insane! Wait, what's happening to that lady and her kid? Like, what's going on here? Oh my! The that
1: slow motion gunfight scene where you just see the set. That poor sailor must have gotten shot like four times trying to
0: do. <laughs> it's <fucking> lit up. <laughs> it's lit up.
1: Also, it, like I love Sean Connery's accent because this is the Sean Connery years where it's just. Like you're getting Sean Connery.
0: Yeah, I mean he won. It's funny because he won an Oscar for this for playing a Chicago, an Irish Chicago cop, and he's very much Scottish Sean Connery. It's <laughs> not even a little bit of it. And just right next to him, most of the movie is very Cuban Andy Garcia playing an Italian.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like this. Is, I'm like it's not quite as bad as him playing a Spaniard with a full-blown
0: Scottish. No, no, it is not. It's not e- Ramirez, an
1: Egyptian Spaniard
0: who grew up in like Japan, basically, who <laughs> spent quite a long time in Japan. But yeah, he's not Ramirez. Which, by the way, I picked up the 4K of, of the Highlander. It's beautiful. Everyone <laughs> should get a 4K just for that. That dude. That, uh, that that does. Physical media is not dead. goddammit. But yeah, this movie and this movie always—it's—it's it's like this and Face Off. They kill a kid within the first three minutes of this movie, and Face Off iced uh, John Travolta's kid in like the opening scene. This little girl gets blown the fuck off in like minute three of this movie, and right there, you're like, "Yep, this is what we're doing. I'm I'm on. I'm on board." <laughs>
1: I mean the movie's and it's far from my favorite like mob cops versus mobster movie, but it is fun.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's especially it's especially funny when De Niro shows up because De Niro is Al Capone, most famous Chicago gangster of all time. Robert De Niro for most of this movie. Is in, in a completely different movie. I don't know what movie he's in. He's in, like, the legit story of Scarface. Not the Al Pacino Scarface. He's in, like, the Al Capone Scarface, like, movie. And they're just kind of, like, letting Elliot Ness, as Kevin, like, Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness, like, have his own movie going on just to the left. <laughs> like, just to the left. And then all of a sudden, they meet at the end, basically. They have the one scene after the touchable, I think it's the touchable scene, after that, that's when they have the one Meet up, but then they don't see each other again until the end of the movie, and even then it's only like a courtroom drama. Like they're not even like yelling at each other face to face because this movie, while not historically accurate, at least at times pretends to be. So it is funny that it at least goes along with the fact that Al Capone taken down by tax evasion was the craziest thing that could ever happen. But this movie ending as a courtroom drama is also kind of the craziest thing that could ever happen.
1: Yeah. That... <laughs> This movie does have like I feel like it's almost three movies. Just
0: yeah, it is, and it's my oh, god, it's it's so funny because again, this whole time Connery is going around talking about the Chicago way, <laughs> and he's just astonishing it up left and right as this Irish cop alone.
1: Then <laughs> <laughs> when he finally, when the guy breaks in, and you get that looks like you brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> no.
0: Nope. It's Yeah. And Connery, to his credit, is at least putting out the effort in this. Like, he's he's going for it. I think he knows...
1: you have to watch this movie in order to truly understand California Love by Tupac.
0: That's
1: right. That's as untouchable as Elliot Ness.
0: That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, pretty much every, like, rapper in the 90s at least had one reference to Elliot Ness. I'm pretty sure they had him in there. But, um... Yeah, and it's, the funniest thing is, is that this is a, like, a, in big air quotes, based on a true story, but if this were based on a true story, Elliot Ness is a fucking quitter, because in the beginning of the movie, shit gets kind of difficult for him, and he's like, that's it, I'm done, going back to Washington, I'm done here in Chicago, things can't be fixed, I'm going home, and Connery's like, wait, no we're 10 minutes into the movie. You got to stick around. You know, he's like, all right, I guess I will. It's like, wait a minute. Was this the guy that took down the mob? No. I believe it
1: was. That's, so, as stated previously, I am the historian of the podcast.
0: Mike Mike is the historian, yes.
1: And I've taken several classes on Prohibition era uh, U.S., so uh, this Like, the whole Elliot Ness, Al Capone story was, it was always, like, the fun part of it to learn.
0: Because it's, like, the story, you know? It's, everywhere else is kind of like, all right, we got some runners. We got Rum Runners in Florida. Like, we got various other things, like, going on. But Al Capone was the one that was like, excuse me. Al Capone was the one that was like, fuck you, I'm doing this shit, you know? It's like, take me down.
1: (laughs) But, uh, we, uh... We over Halloween we went to the uh Eastern State Penitentiary and got to see Al Capone's cell.
0: Nice, nice.
1: Right, and they had a haunted themed speakeasy.
0: <laughs> it's like ghosts serving you beers and shit.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. What this always makes me think of, and it always makes me think of the there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer becomes a beer baron. And there's this other guy, it's supposed to be Elliot Ness, I can't remember what the, uh, the character's name is, it's Rex something. But he comes in, and he's doing this, like, when Kevin Costner in the beginning of this movie is, like, looking after the failed um, bust, he's looking off the bridge, and he's, like, being a little mopey, he's kind of being a mopey bitch. But in this one, in The Simpsons, Rex is just like, I'm gonna get you beer baron, and then in the far like far off, you hear Homer go, no you're not! he's like, yes, I will. No! I was <laughs> waiting for that to happen at the beginning of this movie. Just to hear, like, De Niro yell, no you're not! <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: That's So, you know what's wild? Al Capone was 33 when he was arrested.
0: Dude, dude life back then was so much harder. Even when you were, like, the richest man in Chicago. Like that is a hard thirty-three looking at that. That is a hard thirty-three.
1: Yeah, that's I'm like, I'm like, why'd they make De Niro look so old? Then I'm looking at his picture at 33 and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> He didn't look great.
0: No. no. <laughs> yeah. It's like then you like look you look at somebody nowadays, you look at like um like Paul Runn at thirty three, like, my god, the man's a baby face. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> Very different times to grow up in. Wait,
1: so Capone, like his crime reign was from when he was 26 till he was 33.
0: And there is a, um, there's a program on Netflix. There's two of them actually. One of what the first one was how to become a dictator or something like that. And then this, the newest one is how to become a mafia Lord or a crime Lord or something like that. And the guy that they keep, like, they dedicate an episode. There's, like, six episodes. Peter Dinklage narrates it. It's pretty good. Um, but they're every time they talk about somebody, like, doing it the wrong way, like, they mention Al Capone doing it the right way. And then, like, his actual episode, you're kind of like, holy shit. Like, how did this dude do this? Like, this is kind of insane that this man could do this. Because every time he wanted to kill somebody, he would call his buddies in New York. New York would show up, kill whoever needed to be killed, and then just go back. <laughs> so it's like that's the life right there you just be like make a phone call someone dies and then hey I'm Scarface everyone loves me you know (laughs) pay no attention to the man not paying his taxes
1: (laughs) (laughs) eventually dies of syphilis
0: yeah and eventually dies of syphilis probably the way he wanted to go out you know but and then there's there's um there's Sean Connery's death in this movie when he gets shot, I'm going to conservatively guess 200 times. <laughs> Pretty sure he gets he gets un- a Tommy full Tommy gun is unloaded in him, and he has the chance to do like a Paul Rubens and Buffy the Vampire Slayer like pro- prolonged death. He is alive for quite some time after that until they find him. And even Venny has the breath left in him to be like to grab the paper, to show it to Clay Costner, and like say train station or whatever it is, and then he dies. It's like, oh well, thank God he stayed alive long enough to give us the pertinent information we needed. (laughs) Even though he should have died in the out the doorway back where he was shot.
1: (laughs) Is it just me or is I'm trying to find the guy who played Billy Drago? He's the weirdest-looking motherfucker.
0: He looks like an assassin in a movie. Like, the dude just has that look. Like, that's okay, typecast. You are playing an assassin in a movie. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like, you are a creepy fuck, man. You're <laughs> a creepy fuck. You're going to either play an assassin or you're playing, like, the doctor, like, the scientist in um, Human Centipede. Like, that's the two roles that you get, dude. <laughs> like, you get crime as, like, mafia like enforcer. Or creepy fucking scientists. Like, that's all you get. That That is your role. You're not playing, like, father of Little League player. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> You're playing assassin of father of Little League player. You know? Or of Little League player, considering they just blow up kids in this fucking universe. That'd be great.
1: It's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, there is that iconic train station sequence. And I texted Michael that happened because it just reminded me of me it. We were watching... Kevin Costner, Elliot Ness is like keeping an eye out for the mafia basically to show up and this and for this accountant to show up. And everything is like being ratcheted up and ratcheted up. And there's this woman and her baby. She's got like two suitcases, her kids in like a rolling bassinet or whatever, and there's this flight of steps because it's 19 thing you know, 30, whatever. They didn't have handicap ramps or anything, you know, there wasn't that kind of thing. So it was just stairs. So this woman's going to like move her kid trying to get him up the steps, but I swear he goes from bottom of the steps to three steps up. It takes her 15 minutes of screen time. And it reminded me of, what is it? It's like Sir Galahad in Monty Python or whatever, when he's just constantly running and he's never getting any closer.
1: Oh no, that's uh, that's Sir Lancelot, where you just keep showing him running, and then eventually he just stabs the dude.
0: Right, and that's what that's reminded me of. This woman just could not move and age. She just kept being in the same spot every time Elliot S. looked back at her.
1: I saw, I saw someone comment on it. It's like, you know, they actually had to use seven different kids for, seven different babies for that role because they shot it in real time and the babies kept aging out.
0: Exactly, exactly. Exactly. It's incredible, Obama, for like bringing like granting attention and like all that shit. But these these kids that that had to have been, like seven days of work for them, you know, <laughs> because that was a long fucking scene. And it's even funnier because during this whole like this quickly goes from like nothing to oh shit, everyone's shooting each other. Oh shit, everyone's dead. Oh shit, the kids going down the stairs like in the bassinet. It's, it goes off the rails really fast. And even, like, to, up to that point, even though you're kind of like, well, Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness is kind of a bitch, like, even in that scene, you're like, all right, he's kind of a badass. Like, this is this is a good, like, kind of a badass scene right here. But, but then you after also that,
1: look at it and you're like, wait, they have how many people there with guns? And only the ones that he's focused on are shooting at
0: him. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what you want, you know? That's what you really want when it comes down to it. You don't want the people that you don't know coming at you. You want the ones that you're looking at to be shooting at you. <laughs> you can at least duck, you know. But then we get to, and again, I'm not I'm not a law scholar. I haven't watched enough Law and Order that maybe they do this in Law and Order. Can you just switch juries in the middle of a trial? No. I don't believe you can do that, right? I believe that's a mistrial. <laughs> Or at the very least, in the like, and in like some crazy form of like, like some ridiculous thing. Like, no, uh, no, the jury
1: selection process happens well ahead of time.
0: Yeah, and then it's like and there's like a little you gotta sidebar.
1: confirm that they don't have any prejudices and stuff like that. Right.
0: Yeah, there's like a little sidebar, and then they fi- they find out that half the jury's been paid off, and by Capone. And then there's a little sidebar with the judge, and basically it's not quite clear because you don't know the truth about it. Kevin Costner, like Elliot Ness, looks at the judge and goes, yeah, your name was on the list of the people that had been paid off. And it's like, was he telling the truth or is he not? Like, he doesn't have to produce any receipts here. But then the judge is like, oh, and he like shits himself. And then in the courtroom, he's like, Bailiff, bring me the jury from next door and take this jury over there. And it's like, I think you could do that. <laughs> That's not a thing that could be done, judge. You lose your like, you lose your ability to be a judge. It's, you know, they throw you out.
1: <laughs> also, how bad was Capone's lawyer that he <laughs> immediately, immediately says, we'd like to change our plea to guilty without consulting his, what a lawyer works for the, the, the defendant, so he didn't even consult Capone about this.
0: Well, the funniest thing is, like, right before that Capone, like, calls him an asshole. Like, he's like, you didn't get, do something. And it's like that you can almost see, but, like, The lawyer realizes the jig is up, so he's kind of like, all right, we're just going to go for guilty, your honor. He's like, fuck you, dude. (laughs) Fuck you, phone. We're going guilty. You can't say shit about it. It's like, no, there are no rules in this courtroom. We're going to do whatever the hell we want, you know? (laughs) It's, It's completely insane. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's not part of the real history of this because I think we'd have to go back and revisit that case and, like, vacate all of the convictions. (laughs) I don't think that's a lot to happen. The quote,
1: Capone, you got nothing.
0: (laughs) And even funnier, like, when De Niro sends that, this entire movie, De Niro has been hamming it up. Like, he, every time he's on screen, you're like, yes, more of this. Especially the scene where he beats the guy to death with the baseball bat at the dinner. That scene is amazing, and you can tell that De Niro is like, yes, this is the scene right here, you know? And he's going around, he's got that baseball metaphor and all that, and then he gets to the guy who owned the warehouse, that was in charge of the warehouse, and he's about to beat him to death. And he's like, and then he starts beating the shit out of him, and then like, beat, he beats him to death in the middle of the dinner, and that first crack over the like over the head, you see the blood spray on the guy's next to him, and then he's just humbling this dude in the soup, and it's like, that's robert de niro right there like that is 1987 robert de niro <laughs> but then he's gone from the movie for another half an hour 45 minutes it's like no god damn it this is not what i wanted i have more of kevin costner god damn it. but it's fine in this like kevin costner is perfectly fine and this is a perfectly fine like not quite star making term because bull Durham is really the one that does kick him off and field of dreams is the one that skyrockets him after this and it's really he really definitely should have stuck to like you said earlier mike the sports movies or the action movies this is kind of this is like in between this is like that action drama right there and it doesn't it works because the movie's great because it's in the hands of Brian De Palma for Christ's sake, but it it doesn't really work for Kevin Costner. You know, it's like it's okay, and he he's okay in it. Everyone else makes it a good movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of like Brock Purdy. He does his job, but he's got an all star cast around him.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, but um, all right. So that's enough of the good movie. That. <laughs> It started his career, so Mike, how is your beer?
1: I'm sipping it slow, because it, it is more sour than I remember, and also with the 8%, it's not not exactly my favorite, but I'm not a huge sour person, so you can't really take my word for it with New Jersey Beer Co.
0: <laughs> but who the hell am I? Uh, yeah, my uh, Harry Cordial Queen. It's very good, and uh, I'm just about to finish it and start my next one.
1: That's the beer I wish I had right now.
0: <laughs> it is quite delicious. Now, I am moving on because again, this is the winter time, the time for cider. You uh, I don't believe I've done a cider on the show at all yet. I may have done one, but I don't think I've. Mike's the one that has been done done a lot of them.
1: I've done a lot of ciders because I also like making snake bites.
0: Yes. So I am doing one. I'm trying to figure out where it's from. Uh, Citizen Cider. Does that sound right? Yeah, Citizen Cider sounds right. Uh, Drink Vermont. So they're somewhere in Vermont. Uh, crafted and packaged by Citizen Cider in Burlington, Vermont. So it's their dry hop cider. It's the Lake Hopper, which is six point two percent, and it's a. There, yeah, that's a nice, clean open. I love that. And, uh, oh, yeah, there we go. It's a nice, clean, regular cider. We got we got cider here, folks. We got cider. We got cider. Can you, can you hear the effervescence? I have to stay back at the mic so I don't know how much it picks up right on top of it, but whatever.
1: Now we have to go from um, what might be the biggest fall off for a villain going from Speed to water world. <laughs>
0: Dude, Dennis Hopper, though, he brings it in this movie. He He does. absolutely brings it in this fucking movie. But, yeah, so now we're in 95's Waterworld, which at the time was the most expensive movie ever made. And it needed a miracle to turn a large profit on this movie because the hype train before this movie started was all about how difficult the production was and how expensive this was and how over budget it was and how just a whole bunch of like money was being burned, essentially.
1: You know, really going to keep it going with the sports pod or with the sports uh, metaphors or whatever. Um, This is very much the Jamarcus Russell of movies.
0: (laughs) Wow. Drive by on Jamarcus Russell, sir, man. You didn't do anything. We need to kill you again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
0: <laughs> but yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It's the biggest hype, the biggest, the biggest payout, the biggest check. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> like there's, there's nothing. Like the profit on this movie was like seventy grand or seventy million, something like that. Like it wasn't a lot, and everything that Kevin Costner does after this. So here we go. We got Tin Cup which sports movie in his wheelhouse. It's a perfectly fine movie. The postman, unwatchable garbage message in a bottle, watchable garbage for the love of the game or for love of the game, which again, baseball movie specifically. So he's back in his wheelhouse, play it to the bone. uh, 13 days 3,000 miles to Graceland, which I, if I remember correctly, him and Kurt Russell, I believe, are Elvis impersonators in that. <laughs> uh, then we have something called Dragonfly. Then we have whatever open range is. The Upside of Anger. Rumor has it with Jennifer Aniston. Uh, the Guardian, which is the Navy SEALs, like, di- Coast Guard movie. I think it's the Coast Guard movie. Uh, Mr. Brooks, where he plays a... Is he the villain? Or is Dane Cook the villain in that one? Because isn't that Dane... Yeah, that's the one with Dane Cook. Uh, he is the titular Mr. Brooks, but I think Dane Cook is the actual like villain of that. Then there's Swing Vote. The new daughter. I don't know what that is. The company man. And then... Now, this is something, this is what the joy of our podcast is. You learn something every episode. Mike, in 2011, did you know that there was a short film sequel to one of Kevin Costner's most famous movies?
1: No, I did not.
0: And I'm going to, I'm just going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you take about, I don't know, 700, 800 guesses until you figure out who the star of this short film was. I'll give you a so... It's Field of Dreams 2, Poland okay. Lockout. It's a three-minute short, and it came out in 2011. So one of the biggest stars in the world at the time is, is the star of this three-minute short. Right. We've talked about him recently, I will say.
1: Okay. So, would it be Ryan Reynolds?
0: That would be phenomenal, but no. Um, It is Taylor Lautner.
1: Oh, God.
0: (laughs) And as I'm reading IMDb here, I will read the IMDb cast as listed on IMDb. So, Taylor Lautner is playing Iowa Farmer. Tony Gonzalez, yes. Former Chiefs tight end, Tony Gonzalez, plays himself. Uh, Marielle Jaffe, who is an attractive young actress, she plays Iowa Farmer's wife. Uh, Still scrolling, still scrolling. Rich Eisen plays himself. Uh, Deshaun Jackson makes an appearance as himself. Marshall Falk, White Freeney, Dennis Haysbert, are you in good hands? Ray Liotta, again, shows up, but this time he is Roger Goodell. He is not his character from Field of Dreams. And then, of course, there is Kevin Costner, who plays, and I quote, Iowa farmer's dad. <laughs> he couldn't even play his own character. Now, of course, that's just a three-minute short. I'm sure that was attached to some something that, you know, was some promotion or something for whatever i mean i don't i don't know why that would have such a football heavy crew yeah in in a field of dreams sequel uh apparently i guess that field of dreams is a football field because the lockout is about the nfl lockout but why would you bring kevin costner back it's it's a football movie his was about baseball you know you touch this thing to draft day and now you got a real movie But then, of course, he does the Hatfields and McCoys with a TV show, and then he makes the jump to the comic book realm as Jonathan Kent in Man of Steel. And that movie, while terrible, he is somehow worse in it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he's somehow worse than how bad that movie is. And that's of course the movie where he dies by holding his hand out to Superman saying, No. Do not save me from this from this tornado. I'm going to die like a hero. <laughs> Even though Superman could very much save him in under half a second. But no, we, we got to make a sacrifice so Superman can be a hero or some shit. I don't know. But then we get Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, Three Days to Kill, Draft Day. Um, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, as Jonathan Ken. And then Hidden Figures, Molly's Game, Highwaymen, which was the Netflix movie with Woody Harrelson. The art of racing in the rain. Let him go. Zack Snyder's Justice League. So the Zack Snyder cut the Snyder cut. And then, of course, 53 episodes of Yellowstone. And I believe and counting uh for from 2018 already. Right. Now, this is where he's found his niche as Kevin Costner in Cowboy Hat. We could just play this forever because there's 40,000 Yellowstone spin-offs. He'll never have he'll never go hungry again, you know. He'll never have to face the days of being Jonathan Kent or in draft day ever again. Yep. (laughs) But he did have to do Waterworld to get to this point in his career. Now, this is directed by Kevin Reynolds, who also did Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with him. And then he did Count of Monte Cristo and Tristan and he's old. Everyone remembers Tristan and he's old, right? Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) So, of course, this one starts off. With a shot of his ass as he's pissing into a cup and filtering that into drinkable water. Now, so I asked this Mike, if you find a way to filter your own piss into drinking, into drinkable water, or as they call it, hydro, don't you think at some point, because this is like the year 2500, don't you think at some point they would have figured out how to filter salt water into actual water? You know, like a desalination plant?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you'd think so. But, um, maybe Patch's old Houlahan was the one to kick start. <laughs> do I have to drink my own piss? Or do I have to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile, and I like <laughs> the taste. I like the taste
0: it <laughs> <laughs> Have the Mariner because he doesn't get a name. The Mariner's like got one t v and one v h s tape, and it's just that Dotch
1: video. <laughs>
0: Like Hankus <laughs> area. Dodged it. I'm Duncan. Dodged. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It's like, okay, we figured out the water filtration. We figured out piss filtration, but we haven't figured out desalination again. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's something there because apparently, even though this is in the world, the year 2500, filtered cigarettes still exist by like the ruck load Dennis Hopper is literally shown throwing them out by the fistful to his men as they drive through their little atoll. And it's like, okay, this is one thing that, and we'll talk about it again, believe it's next week with the gentleman we're going to do. This is the thing that like super, not quite super friendly, but far enough in the future that present day is long, long gone these future movies love to do is they love to keep around parts of like the present day as some sort of i don't know touchstone to the real world or whatever like in this in the beginning of the movie kevin costner has a bick lighter in his mouth and he's trying to get it to work because he finds it like fishing it's like okay bick lighter somehow survived 500 years or whatever in the ocean doubtful but then there's the cigarettes then there's the oil tobacco
1: being grown.
0: Right, they got tobacco. They have oil. They have oil and an oil on an Exxon. What we find out it's an Exxon Valdez oil tanker, but they're refining that into gas at some point, like for their jet skis. Like you can't just put oil in a jet ski and have it run. It has to be gasoline. <laughs> so there's there's some way of converting oil to gas. And then also the thing- like
1: you look at all the the stuff going on. And I get with the whole mutate, like, yeah, every time a mutant shows up, everyone has to hate them. But you're like, this dude can solve a lot of our problems.
0: Yeah. If if dirt is such a hot commodity and that we use it as currency, he's the one that can go to the bottom of the ocean and get it. <laughs> Which is what he does. And it's like. Why would this guy be? I mean of course it's it's a post-apocalyptic future so you have to have your crazy cults and anything that's not crazy is immediately has to be sacrificed to their god or whatever and in this case dumped in mud. But this guy would be such an asset for every aspect of life. <laughs> it would be it's incredible because he can like we see that he can go underwater obviously to the bottom of the ocean which Apparently, ocean pressure doesn't mean a goddamn thing anymore because you can use a homemade diving bell to take Jean yep. Triplehorn down there as well. And all she's doing is just standing inside of it. There's no, no suit. There's no tank. There's nothing. It's just, like, created out of a, the hull of something.
1: Man, we can't even make that small of uh, uh, submarine devices now. <laughs> he created...
0: <laughs> created that damn sub like the whatever sub that like ex- that imploded he created a much better version of that apparently in 1995 out of a box of scraps you know But
1: also even, buoyancy isn't a thing because he's dragging it down
0: there <laughs> right exactly and it's yeah I mean it's the ocean gate sub that's what it was and now they, they did now of course this movie does really start with narration from the greatest who ever do it, which is Don Lafontaine who used to be the trailer guy he was the no world you know he was that guy and he was he was the voice you heard in every old movie trailer and he gives us the narration the polar ice caps have melted and they flooded the earth basically and there's this myth of dry land which they don't tell you in the movie what it is, but you have to kind of read into it that it's Mount, the top of Mount Everest, apparently, is what it is, that has repopulated with, like, vegetation and all this, which, I again, I don't think is possible with the way these things are going. But, to hear Don LaFontaine say these things, I'm like, okay, so, the world we know is completely underwater, probably by a lot, and they say it's like 24,000 feet of water, or something like that. It's a ridiculous amount. And, He goes down to basically this like somewhere where there's ski, there's a ski lift. So allegedly Denver or somewhere in Colorado, because the Rockies are under there too. Mm -hmm. And he goes down and he's got dirt. He can get whatever he wants. At no point though, does he grab like a Broncos helmet or something (laughs) that he could use to like scuba dive, maybe, or you have somebody else use to scuba dive, you know? It's like, why didn't we go full out with like the ridiculousness of this? Because Dennis Hopper is on that level. Dennis Hopper is on he's the ridiculous bored, level, like, and he is yeah, he is into it, and he is he is obviously the best part of this movie.
1: And Kevin Costner, total opposite, like literally, does not look like he tried for a single line. Even his kiss looked like the like he was bored. Like
0: he, <laughs> I mean, dude, it's a nineteen ninety five Gene Triplehorn. Like he's hot, dude. You know, what are you doing, like? this man is this man is supposedly like never he's never gotten laid allegedly and it's like that would probably kill him you know <laughs> seeing her she just like drops her clothes at one point because she thinks she, that's what he wants and i like if you're standing in front of a 1995 jean triple horn and you presumably haven't seen a naked woman ever you're losing your shit you know you are just losing it and you're probably down for the count for at least a day. <laughs> so that's going to let all that blood rushing down there and just shooting everywhere, you're done. You're really just done for a while. And that's the reality of these world, this world that I want to see. You know, I want to see him dealing with human situations because apparently he's in a, he's a mutant and is completely unaware of anything, you know. It's it's then, not great.
1: <laughs> all right, so the amount of the sexual politics of this world. They're like, we need her to be pregnant and uh we can't keep mixing the gene pool.
0: Yeah, it's like we've run into inbreeding and it hasn't worked. <laughs> so why don't we try to, you know, branch out a little bit. But yeah, yeah, the line is when she's pregnant, you go on your way with all the supplies you need. And it's like, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. And then we get the scene with the uh the drifter. Yeah, that they come across, and basically, it's like we're trading Gene Triplehorn's ass for whatever this guy has. Um, she's got to—I mean, at, even in this post-apocalyptic nightmare world, she's got to be like, "Oh no, 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 we're not doing this." <laughs> they tried to do that shit to me on the atoll before. We're not doing it here. <laughs> like, I'll kill him if I have to, but. Of course, this is also a movie where crayons survive 500 years and you tattoo a baby, apparently.
1: (laughs) They have the sterilization for the said baby to not die from some infection from whatever they're using as a needle and ink for the said tattoo.
0: Which we see is like a tribal tattoo because at the end, through some miracle of filmmaking the people that are the only this hut that they find on Mount Everest or in dry land contains this kid. I want to call her newt because that's what she is An alien three or alien two. Like I want to call her newt. And it's like, but her real name is like, uh, what do they even call her in this? I don't know. It's like Hilo or something like that. I forget whatever. But this it's like, those are her parents somehow, somehow, they've clearly been dead for much longer than, like, the six years that this kid's been alive. And they show you, like, the old school, like, like, like Peloponnesian, like, Polynesian, like, Hawaiian, Samoan, like, tattoo style of, like, the 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 little, like, back scratcher, like, with the needles and the, that, like, the tapping. Yeah. The and, stick
1: poke method.
0: Right, the stick poke method, yeah. But this kid was a baby when that thing got tattooed on her. So, hey... Wow, that's fucked up. that's fucked up? How many babies had to die to make sure that we knew that this ink wouldn't kill this kid? There's no way you tattoo a child and it doesn't go wrong almost immediately.
1: And then the map ain't telling you shit now because it's gonna, you know, as as a child, you grow... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right, exactly. Which means that someone's either been altering it, like keeping it, like covering it up and like making it the same as she gets bigger. Or she again is the miracle child. Because apparently, though, the funny thing is, apparently her tattoo's like upside down or some shit. So it's not even like
1: gibberish, probably, because the child's not gonna sit still while you're tattooing them.
0: (laughs) Right. It's not even an accurate tattoo from what we find out. (laughs) But Even funnier is this whole movie is just wet Mad Max. That's all it is. It's just wet Mad Max. And it focuses
1: on all the wrong parts of Mad Max. Like, How many scenes does it have where it shows him pulling some rope and it shows you every part of the contraption opening or moving to show you exactly how it works when they do something?
0: Yes, and yet we don't get any explanation as to how his box of crayons hasn't disintegrated, you
1: know? This movie is Mad Max meets MacGyver meets Carnival Cruise Lines.
0: Right, no, it just reminded me, speaking of MacGyver, Mike, you're a Chargers fan. Did you know Ryan Leaf as a kid named MacGyver? No, I didn't. I just learned that the other day. Because I had on the NFL Network in the morning, whatever, and he came on. Apparently, he just had a kid and spent, like, the first five minutes of his screen time just crying about how great the kid is and, like, how great God is. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this is not what I want to see on a fucking Monday morning or whatever. And then he's like, he says, yeah, the kid's name is, like, Constable Populous Brady or something. It's some weird fucking name. And then they say, "Well, how is MacGyver?" And I was like, "Wait, who the fuck is MacGyver?" And he's like, "Yeah, MacGyver, my other my son." I was like, "Get the fuck out of here, <laughs> <laughs> you ninja!" I produce. What the hell is wrong with
1: you? Which is funny. So Philip Rivers has a son named Gunnar Rivers, and I'm like, if that doesn't sound like the Chargers quarterback in 2035, I don't know what does.
0: <laughs> exactly, he's going to be the Chargers quarterback when water runs. <laughs> He's going gonna to be in the, the burned down city of L.A., you know, the, the flooded city of L.A. That's where uh, Kevin Kosh is going to go down. He's going to pull up a jersey and it's going to be Gunner, <laughs> Gunner Rivers' jersey. Hall of Fame quarterback <laughs> Gunner Rivers. Right next to MacGyver Leaf. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you got to be kidding me. And then you know, like with this movie... There's a whole bunch of like, you got to be kidding me. One of which is, did you re- know that Jack Black is in this movie? He's one of the pilots, right? He's the pilot. Now, he actually does get some like FaceTime in the extended cut, apparently. And I was like, holy shit, it's Jack Black. And then my favorite character in this entire movie is the old man that's in, it's like at the bottom of the uh, Exxon Valdez, that's like the water level guy like the oil level guy. Yeah, I mean, the,
1: the, the, it's the, it's the only good scene in the movie when it gets lit up he's like, oh, thank God.
0: Oh, thank God. Yeah, right. It's a me up. Yeah. It's like when the flares falling, he's like, oh, thank God. He's like, yeah, that would be your, that would definitely be your reaction I mean, to live a life in like nothing but oil. But this movie is absolutely insane. And it doesn't even have the common decency to be, like, completely over-the-top ridiculous like Mad Max. Like, Mad Max has a certain amount of, like, comedically ridiculous charm to it. That you're like, this is just so over-the-top that it's amazing that, the, yes, this is a fully realized world where these, this is how you exist. In this though, it's almost like they just took themselves too fucking seriously. And yeah. Dennis Hopper is the only one that was like, "You know what? I'm not doing that." He's <laughs> like, "I'm going to be Dennis Hopper, certified crazy person, and you're going to you're just going to deal with it." <laughs> you know? And it's it's it just kills me because this movie has a lot of like interesting lore to it. Like I kind of want to know you, there's good ideas to make a good story out
1: of this. You just need someone who's not Kevin Costner putting in a negative effort.
0: Well, that's the thing. Did you know, again, there is a novelization because this movie came out in the nineties. There's a novelization of this movie. And then now there's like three different novelizations of this movie. There's a YouTube video. I watched, I watched, I can't read. Really, I think it's called, it's from the atoll is what it's from. Now I suggest watching this video simply for the fact that when the guy who's making the video and the voice you hear shows up on screen, you do not expect him to look the way he does. <laughs> so, but then when you get a look at him, you're like, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I take it all back. That's definitely what this, this looks like. This yeah. is definitely the guy who's read all three versions of Waterworld, the novelization. <laughs> but apparently in the novelization, there's like, a lot of backstory about how the world exists and how people exist in this world and what happened. You since know it's
1: super floods, unrealistic, uh, though? You don't have orcas and dolphins running around fucking everyone up.
0: Yeah, but, like, what is that one creature that he does catch?
1: The sandworm that's, like, not a sand.
0: Right, it's not even a fish.
1: Like, I... <laughs> They gave no indication as to why animals would mutate or water animals wouldn't survive.
0: Yeah. He's developed gills and webbed feet, which naturally means that A, other humans have done that at some point too. He can't be the only one. And that means that, yeah, land animals would have or fish would have somehow adapted to be different, you know? And
1: or you'd have you'd at least have things like porpoises and stuff that like live in arctic areas and would be able to survive the temperature change to...
0: yeah i mean but we get none of that instead we get kevin costner like moping around the whole time and like being a little bitch and it's it sucks it really does it really just sucks because
1: like, how much better would it be if there was a kraken attack or something
0: yeah, exactly like this movie cost 175 some odd million dollars or whatever to make The score sounds like a half-assed Pirates of the Caribbean score. The special effects are complete trash in a lot of scenes. And even the practical effects are just jet skis jumping. That's all they are. (laughs) You
1: almost need this to be like a... Like not really steam, like, I'm trying to make it the right word for it, like, industrial punk Pirates of the Caribbean, where it's, like, yeah, you need, like, exactly. your main character to be Captain Jack Sparrow-esque.
0: Yeah, you almost need, like, the Wachowskis to do this movie, you know? But you need to have their, like, unique take on like, gender-fluid, futuristic-type things. That like, You know
1: who you would really need? I think you need um. Oh God, George
0: Miller, <laughs> George Miller, Mad Max, George Miller to do this.
1: No, that, that would work.
0: <laughs> Just make this Furiosa, you know, <laughs> wet Furiosa. Wait, no, that's probably a very different movie. Sorry.
1: <laughs> that's um. Wait. Oh God, why is this director escaping me?
0: Steven Spielberg. No. That would be Martin's interesting. Well, I'm
1: curious how he would uh how he would do.
0: <laughs> I can tell you right now, Kevin, Kevin Costner's character would be a divorced dad of some. <laughs> it would just be a dad learning how to like well he is in this. It would be the same thing with him and Newt, you know. <laughs> or Enola. Enola is her name. Sorry, but I'm gonna keep calling her fucking Newt. <laughs> but and yeah, reminds
1: us of a better movie. Yeah, right. But, uh y- Okay, so I—I I didn't realize Terry Gilliam directed Twelve Monkeys. So you
0: need, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that would that would be a good one. Um, but no, it's yeah, I know there's probably people screaming, but this is not actually Newt from Aliens too. You know, this is not. Uh, it's just the character tone that this that this little girl is. She's just a little Newt. That's all she is. And, uh yeah, you you definitely need someone better than fucking. Kevin Reynolds, or whatever the fuck his name is. Prince of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, dude. This is the same dude that let Kevin Costner just be Kevin Costner in a fucking Robin Hood movie.
1: <laughs> Unlike some Robin Hoods, I can do a British accent.
0: You speak with an English accent. Yeah. A spoon, cousin. But yeah, it's not good. And um,
1: my fish eaten by the cat. My cat choked on the fish. On the goldfish,
0: uh, and blinking. Old My dog Bongo. <laughs> so good. That, that's what this movie needs. This movie needs like a blinking to recap like everything that happened in the world. <laughs> Just have it be that story again. that would be great. But uh yeah, so that's probably the end of Kevin Costner's career. But then again, everything gets resurrected on the Paramount Network. So. He had his time off. He had his shitty movies and then he came back. So, Mike, before we talk about who we're gonna talk about next week, where can people find us on the internet?
1: For your streaming pleasure, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else. You get your podcast from, thanks to Spotify Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Happy Hour Films Podcast. Go like our stuff.
0: Yeah, all of those things that Mike said are true. So um uh, next week. Oh boy this this going to be a tough one actually it really is um cuz we're talking about one of the worst movies to ever be made and we're talking about john travolta and uh saturday night fever is what we're going to start with the, the one that kind of got him going but then of course we're going to talk about the one that ended it all battlefield earth <laughs> which again post apocalyptic future or just distant, 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 distant L. Ron Hubbard future where, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, thousands of years can go by and jets will still work just fine. (laughs) Jet fuel and everything will work just fine after not being touched at all for, I think, a thousand years. I think that's what it is. But, you know, science and John Travolta and Scientology ironically don't get together. But, Until next week when we talk about uh, John Travolta, yeah. Yeah. I have been Ross Bacon.
1: I've been Mike McGuigan.
0: I'll see you guys next time. So long.